HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Our master cheesemaker program is one of the only two in the world. So it's no wonder every master in America has called Wisconsin home. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. Hi, this is Lisa Held, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. Well, today's episode is not really about food, but it is about agriculture, and most ingredients used in natural beauty products like sesame seed and avocado oil, vanilla, turmeric, could also end up on our plates. Adrian DeBonton and his wife, Carolina Priolio, are the husband and wife founders of Maison Made. And to make the certified biodynamic skincare products that they sell, they grow their own medicinal herbs on a family farm in Burgundy and have built a network of small farm suppliers around the world. In this episode, I talked to Adrian about their efforts from the specifics of biodynamic practices and why they matter to how biodynamic farming, a system focused on minimizing inputs, building healthy soil, and working with local ecology, compares to systems like organic or regenerative agriculture. Adrian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So your company makes skincare, and we're going to talk more about that, but the mm-hmm. heart of Maison Made is your family farm. It has been in your family for generations, from what I understand, can we start with just talking a little bit about that? Where is it? And can you share a little bit of the history? Absolutely. Um, so the, the the farm is located in Burgundy, which is about uh, 90 so miles southeast of Paris. Um, you know, most people know Burgundy for, for wine. <laughs> um, and Yes, uh, and, including me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, Chablis <laughs> is probably, you know, the, the most famous of the wines from that region. But we're actually a little bit further, further north. So, like, we are um, very close to the Loire as well. So it, it, it's really kind of the tip of northern Burgundy, which historically has been um, more agricultural, rather than um, viticultural. 
Okay. The the farm has been in our family for, uh, as you said, many generations. The first version of it was actually built in the uh, mid twelfth century, um, but the 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 structure from from that time no longer exists as everything was uh, re constructed in the 16th century. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of a fun fact is that the, the name of the, the, the land and the house is, is Bontin, which is my last name. So, um, you know, my, my name literally kind of translates to Adrian from Bontin. So, uh, needless to say, <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, kind of near and dear to my heart. The roots are deep for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Literally um, and figuratively. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so how was the land farm before you took it over? Like what did the generations before you grow? Um, well, it's difficult to say, you know, what they were doing in, you know, the 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th centuries, <laughs> right. because the bookkeeping back then wasn't, you know, what it, what it is today, let's say, but it, you know, historically uh, that region uh, was focused around grains. So, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of wheat, barley, uh, corn, uh, and then one crop that is, um, kind of historically very much tied to this land is, is something called colza, um, which before, you know, before the advent and proliferation of petroleum was used for, for lighting and, and energy purposes in, in Europe. That's really interesting. Um, yeah. And and you said that you know obviously this is where you're from, but you grew up in the U.S. So, um, what made you kind of return to the farm um, and make it such a central part of your current business? Well, I, I was born I was born in France, uh, and you're right. I did move to the U.S. at a quite young age and spent most of my uh, upbringing in in the U.S. Uh, but we always went back every summer. It was you mm. know, the place where the family would congregate uh, for a good you know month, two months during the summer. Um, it was uh, in in that sense that's where I learned how to do things with my hands, <laughs> um, and it, you know obviously reconnecting with the family, but also you know through uh, my my uncles and my grandfather and everything is how I learned how to. Uh, do the basics of gardening, the basics of, of, of farming, you know, what we did on the land, how that all worked, how to drive a tractor. You know, I drove a tractor, mm-hmm. I think, for the first time when I was six or seven years old. Um, so, you know, it's I was there, um, I guess, frequently, depending on your definition, but uh, mm-hmm. at least a month or two out of the year, I would spend uh, in France, in Burgundy with the family. And that's you know also where I um, was able to keep up my French. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. lucky my... My mother's Austrian, my dad's French, and so I grew up with French and German. And, and uh, uh, spending, you know, the summers uh, in France was a way to keep it up. And so, obviously, you know, my grandparents and my French side of the family were very happy about that. Um, but it wasn't really until I, I uh, got a little older where I started really c- connecting with what it meant to have land. Um, mm. I think that's usually kind of lost on you know when you're a teenager. That's not what you're focused on, right? So. Or at least I wasn't. <laughs> um, yeah. And so um, it, it was really kind of uh, in, in my 20s where I started to appreciate, you know, what we had and what we were doing there. And um, 
when when Carolina and I got together and we started thinking about, you know, if we wanted to create something, you know, what would that be? Um, you know, we didn't want to create uh, just another, you know, fill in the blank brand. Uh, we wanted to create something that was unique and special. And we were actually in Burgundy at the time when we were kind of mulling everything over. And, uh, you know, she asked me, you know, why don't you guys grow more things here? And I'm like, I don't know, it's just kind of the way things have been done. And, and I don't know, it's how it is. And she was like, well, can we grow things? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of, that's where the idea started. It was, you know, um, you, you know, my grandfather, he was kind of very conservative and old school. He was like, there are, you know, the 10 things that grow here and that's it. And um, since we were kind of focused on, on skincare, um, you know, our crops that were of interest to us were more the medicinal and aromatic herbs. And um, I don't know how much you know about um, botanical herbs, but they, they, they grow, well, I wouldn't say they grow differently, but they are the, the care or the, the, the cultivation of those types of plants is different than, say, uh, you know, maize or wheat or, or you know, whatever, uh, kind mm-hmm. of more the, the, the cash crops, let's say. Right. And so, um, you know, we started with uh, just a little patch of calendula just to kind of see like, okay, let's see what happens here. And, yeah. um, and they thrived. And um, this was at the time where I was uh, kind of already entrenched in, in, in biodynamics. I had you know, been doing a lot of uh, research and plus I kind of grew up with it. My, my aunt, so on my mother's side, uh, since, you know, it's the Austrian side of the family in Austria. Okay. Uh, biodynamics is uh, much more prevalent uh, than really anywhere else. So Germany and Austria, it's, it's very kind of common and popular. And hmm. so she had been, you know, gardening herself uh, using biodynamic methods for close to 30 years. And so when we told her that we wanted to, you know, try this out in, in Burgundy, she got all excited. She, you know, she, <laughs> she, uh, she, got in her car and she filled up her car with all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, uh, tools and seeds and, uh, all sorts of different accoutrements to kind of help us get started. And, uh, you know, thanks to her, that's where we were able to kind of get the first, you know, few rows started and then just kind of, uh, grew from there. That's amazing. You had a, like a family consultant, a consultant built into the family already, right? Yeah, with a, with a vested interest, not who is someone who would just be like, okay, here you go, see you later. Right, not somebody who just wanted to charge you a lot, but somebody who right. really cared. Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> that's incredible. Um, so so what are some of the, you said you started with calendula. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it look like today? Like, talk a little bit about the different things that you're growing, um, the variety. Um, I just want to like visualize the farm sure. today. Sure. So, uh, yeah, like I said, we started off with a little square patch of, uh, of calendula and, um, because of you know, how well they, they, they came out of the ground and, you know, our kind of growing interest in, in really kind of taking on uh, medicinal herbs, uh, for, you know, the, the, the overall property, um, we started kind of just experimenting with more and more herbs, you know, for us, we always wanted to, um, uh, keep in mind, you know, the native plant species, we didn't want to bring in anything invasive. We weren't, you know, bringing in any Asian plants or, you know, even like South American or North American plants. We really wanted to stay focused on, you know, what grows well in Europe and particularly in Burgundy. So, you know, the first thing we did was we just kind of went around the property and we looked to see what grows naturally. Um, 
we saw, you know, stinging nettles all over the place. We had uh, dandelions, we had St. John's wort, we, you know, just a kind of a plethora of, of, of plants that were just growing, you know, naturally. And even, you know, some pretty amazing ones like valerian and, and yarrow. Mm. And uh, we even had some wild chamomile that was growing in, in different places. And so clearly we were like, okay, you know, there's some, there's something here. Um, and so today we grow about, I'd say about 50 different varieties of, of aromatic herbs and, and plants. Um, that includes uh, obviously the calendula. Um, we've got a good amount of lavender, chamomile, uh, burdock, comfrey, chickweed. Um, we've got malva and roses, um, blue cornflower. We have a little uh, orchard of elderberry. Um, and uh, I, I planted my first, uh, my first grapevine this past year, which I'm quite excited about to see if, you know, maybe, maybe there is uh, one small benefit to climate change with the weather getting warmer. So, you know, maybe, <laughs> For your you, company, you know, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're doing everything we can to, to combat it, right. but, you, know, well, you know, while it's, while it's already here. Um, and, and that's the thing, you know, with, with really kind of any agriculture is as the, as the climate changes, you know, we're going to see changes in what can and can't grow in different regions. And so, um, Absolutely. That was also one thing that we were very cognizant of. We wanted to grow plants that were um, kind of um, dry and wet resistant, so drought resistant and also flood resistant. Um, and, you know, typically just by, by growing a biodiverse set of plants, you're kind of protecting the land inherently anyway. So, um, but it was a major consideration in terms of like, you know, we want to grow plants that uh, are native to the region or at least, you, you know, adjacent and uh that can can benefit from uh the way in which you know our climate is currently but also in the direction that it's heading right you mentioned biodiversity and i know that's a really big um principle within biodynamics is it enough to just have a variety of um herbs and botanicals um or do you need to grow other things in order to have like a truly biodynamic system uh, well, I guess that would depend on the biodynamic farmer. <laughs> you know, it, it also depends on the size. There are, you know, biodynamic farms that are uh, just a few acres, and then there are some that are a few hundred acres. And so, you know, the, the approach is, is different. And, you know, one of the, the things that I really uh, appreciate about biodynamics is that it really trusts the farmer to know his or her own soil. And so when it comes to biodiversity, I guess like the one way in which you can kind of quantify it is that, um, you know, one one way in which biodynamics differs from, you know, let's say organic or really any other um, certification is that 10% of the acreage uh, must be left for conservation. So the idea being that if you leave, let's say you have a hundred acres, mm-hmm. um, 10 acres will be left alone, so to speak, um, so that the, the natural plant species can, can, can thrive in that environment and also benefit, you know, typically, uh, in the, the, the local plant species benefit the local pollinators. And right. so the, the idea is that by reserving 10% of your land for uh, nature to do what she does on her own, you are cultivating a uh, stronger sense of biodiversity. So you're talking about how 10% of the land um, when you're using biodynamic systems is left for, um, you know, left untouched per se. (laughs) Um, What are some of the other kind of key 
practices that you consider kind of, you know, like the foundation of biodynamic agriculture? Uh, definitely. So what I, what I find very compelling about biodynamics is its history. Um, it was the first, um, well, arguably the first ecological certification for agriculture. Um, you know, its history goes back to the 1920s. Um, there, you know, the founder of biodynamics was a man named Rudolf Steiner, who is uh, an interesting character and that could be a a whole podcast in and of itself. Definitely. Um, Yeah. But, um, you know, the idea, uh, his ideas, you know, garnered some, some, some popularity when, uh, you know, after the advent of, you know, chemical, uh, or let's say synthetic chemical, uh, chemicals started being introduced into the agricultural food systems, you know, farmers started to notice that, you know, it wasn't all, um, you know, unicorns and rainbows, you know, there was a lot of destruction that was happening at the same time. And, um, they, Rudolf, uh, Steiner, he wanted to, um, kind of re-educate farmers on, you know, how, uh, farms used to be run before the industrial revolution. Um, and even, you know, the word organic, uh, legend has it, so to speak, came from, uh, a conversation with, uh, with people from Demeter, uh, in the 1940s. And so if you think about it, you know, the biodynamic certification comes around in the you know 1920s, 1930s, it wasn't until 2002 that the USDA had an organic certification here in the U S. Um, sure. and so, you know, part of what I very much appreciate is that, you know, biodynamic being, uh, a nonprofit, like really kind of focuses on, um, spreading its message and, and the movement of, uh, uh, sustainable agriculture and has done so for many decades, uh, in terms of like, you know, differences between potential, you know, other certifications. Um, one thing that, uh, that is unique in, in, in my mind is that, uh, it's a global certification. So, you know, a biodynamic farm will have in, in, in the U S uh, will have the same standards as a biodynamic farm in, in France or in Mongolia or China or, you know, wherever the farm is located, Demeter or Demeter really kind of uh, has a core set of standards and, and they do, they do slightly vary depending on the country and depending on what's happening, you know, what kind of, uh, um, uh, climates that these different countries have, but 90 whatever percent is pretty much the same. And that's unique because uh, let's say organic, for example, organic standards in the U S are different than they are in Germany, which are different than they are in Argentina. And they're different than every country has their own set of what it means to be an organic product. Uh-huh. Um, then uh, the, the, the other thing is, is that a biodynamic farm, uh, it's certification uh, applies to the entire farm. Uh, it doesn't apply to specific portions or parcels of land. The the farm itself is certified at, in the way in which it manages all of the various uh, components of that farm. So, uh, you know how much uh, fertilizer and and uh, pesticide is coming in. Where you know what are the sources of that fertilizer and pesticide? Um, even kind of the the organic feed that comes in. Uh, there are you know, more restrictions and regulations in terms of how much you can bring in. The idea is really that the farm itself 
creates its own fertilizers, its own pesticides mm-hmm. and its own feed so that it's a self-sustaining organism. That's kind of you know, a phrase that you might hear a lot from, from biodynamic people and, and sources is that it's really about having the farm being a self-sustaining organism. So it thinks about uh, the, the, the farm as one thing, not many different pieces put together that end up um, you know, organic or, or whatever. Right. And so in your mind, did it feel like being biodynamic was almost like taking a step beyond organic or beyond like regenerative organic? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the the biodynamic standards use the NOP organic standards as a baseline. So, Got it. Um, you know, you have to comply, like every biodynamic farm is organic by, in its nature because it has those organic standards as a baseline. Mm-hmm. Whereas not every organic farm is biodynamic, obviously. So sure, the, not even, yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the biodynamic farm takes the organic standards and then uh, goes beyond those in terms of, you know, like I said, the, the, the restrictions it puts on external feed fertilizers and pesticides is intentional because they want the farmer to use uh, local methods. Like one that we use, for example, is uh, nettle manure. It's a very simple process. You basically ferment stinging nettle in water. Um, and if you use it at different stages of fermentation, it works in different ways. So, uh, at the beginning stages of fermentation, you can use it, um, as a pesticide because it still has a lot of those uh, stinging properties, uh, to it. Whereas if you use it later on in the fermentation stage, it really acts more as a fertilizer. Um, and so biodynamic really kind of fosters the idea that you can create your own, uh, inputs, uh, rather than rely on, you know, external sources. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. In Wisconsin, cheese is our thing. Wisconsin is the only state in the country that requires a license to make cheese. From curds to cheddar, blue to brick, Wisconsin cheesemakers can do it all. We blend tradition with innovation to create an incredible variety of cheeses that you just can't get anywhere else. You've heard of a PhD, but have you heard of a PH cheese? Otherwise known as the Wisconsin Master Cheesemaker Program. This rigorous study of cheese is an elite accomplishment earned by only 80 talented cheesemakers in Wisconsin, and the program is only one of two in the world. Becoming a master cheesemaker takes 13 years and is basically like a doctorate in a specific variety of cheese with intense requirements to succeed. Our master cheesemaker program allows makers to perfect both the art and science of their craft in a tradition so rich you can taste it. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. All right, we're back. This is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. I've been speaking with Adrian DeBonten from Maison Made, and we were talking about the practices and benefits of biodynamic farming before the break. And I want to ask you about, actually, right before you mentioned inputs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some of the inputs in biodynamic go beyond what many people would consider scientific and sort of start to touch even like 
the spiritual realm, right? There's Definitely. a link to um, astronomical cycles. Um, there's an an input that people always mention called horn manure made from bearing manure and a cow horn. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd love to hear you just kind of talk a little bit about, well, I guess it's two questions. One, like, does a farmer have to embrace all of these elements to truly farm biodynamically? And how do you respond to people who think, those those parts might sound a little bit out there. Definitely. So for your first question, um, uh, you don't have to follow uh, all of the different, let's say, recommendations around astronomical cycles. The, the main uh, aspect is the what are called the nine biodynamic preparations. There are six preparations for compost, and then there are three spray preparations. Okay. Uh, those you need to follow in order to be certified biodynamic. Um, and, you know, you have, uh, they might seem a little out there, but the, really the idea <laughs> is that, you know, the, like, for example, you mentioned the horn manure. Right. Um, so the way it works is, and, and, I, and please remember, like, I'm, I'm really kind of generalizing here and boiling it down. There are you know various aspects that might be a little bit more uh, minute and, and, and detailed. And I'm sure that the, biodynamic farmers who might be listening will, uh, you know, say, well, that's not everything, but uh, I'm trying to keep it simple. So there's always more. Yeah. You, yeah. you don't have to do everything. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The idea behind the horn manure, as I understand it, and I'm, I would still consider myself a novice in biodynamics because I just started a couple of years ago or a few years ago. Uh, but the idea is that the horn of the cow is really part of the nasal cavity. So as a, as a cow um, kind of chews and digests, uh, the food, the, there's a certain kind of uh, energy that goes in within the horns of being a part of the nasal cavity. And, you know, what cows do all day is they chew grass, right? Um, mm-hmm. So the, the, the premise of uh, the Biodynamic Prep 500, which is the horn manure, is that by uh, utilizing the horn of a cow um, and filling it with uh, fairly fresh manure and then burying it over the winter is that you're, you're drawing as the, as the soil kind of draws energy inward during the winter. Uh, a lot of those elements of the, those, that, that energy is coming into contact with the, the horn and the manure that's there. Um, and then in the spring you unearth them and basically you take the manure out of the horn. And at this point, it, it's really interesting because it does go through a transformational process. It, it's not the same as when it went in. It, hmm. it's, it's much, it doesn't, it doesn't smell bad. It, it, you know, it doesn't, um, by the way, manure shouldn't smell bad, but <laughs> many people might think that it does. The good manure doesn't smell that bad. <laughs> um, but in any way, so when you take the manure out of the horn in, in the spring, it, it's this really kind of, uh, um, delicate uh, black material. And so what you do is um, you mix it in with preferably some rainwater um, that you activate or what they call dynamizing. So you're, you move the, the water in, in a bucket, let's say, kind of depends on how much uh, you're going to be spraying. Um, okay. But you, you move that water around to kind of activate the water to get the molecules in the water moving. And then when you uh, put the, the the manure from the horn inside the water. It it kind of melds with that energy, and then you use that to spray your fields to kind of get the season ready. It's kind of like a, a, a fertilizer, um, a, a soil starter, 
let's say. Mm. And, and then, you know, going into, you, you know, the other aspects in terms of, uh, you know, the astronomical cycles and, and all that, th- those are really more, uh, I would say, guides than anything else. And um, the reason why it is kind of prevalent with biodynamic farmers is because I believe a biodynamic farmer really uh, has a lot of intent when they approach their land and the things that they choose to grow and how they choose to grow them. And so I mm-hmm. think it's more representational of, um, you know, that connection that these biodynamic farmers have, you know, typically they're smaller farms. Um, you know, if we look at you know, all types of farms, they're definitely sure. smaller farms. Um, and, you know, typically, or I should say generally a biodynamic farmer is not, um, his primary concern is not the bottom line. It, you know, his or her main concern is really connecting with the soil and being a steward of their land. Um, and so um, this kind of goes into the, the second part of your question, which is, you know, what would I say to people who say, Oh, it's not based on science. It's not based yeah. on, um, you know, soil science is really difficult. It, it, it's, it's not, it's not really a science because, you, you know, you're dealing with weather, you're dealing with, you know, external factors that you can't really predict year over year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you might have uh, some sort of pest this year that you didn't have last year, or you might have, I don't know, 50% more rain than you did the year before. And so that washes things out. You know, the, 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 the fertilizers that you input might not be, so, you know, the idea that like uh, you need to have this hardcore science behind, uh, you know, why a biodynamic, tomato tastes better than another tomato. Um, you know, it, I, I would argue that like, you know, the, the, the science, uh, behind, uh, you know, any one of these is, is, is very difficult to calculate. And there are a few people out there who are doing a good job of it, actually. Um, I don't know if you know about the savory Institute, but they're really mm-hmm. looking at, you know, regenerative practices and the effect on soil. And is it in fact, you know, storing more carbon in the soil than, than if not, Um, and so, uh, you know, when we talk about regenerative practices, I mean, the way I see it is that biodynamic is certified regenerative agriculture. You know, all the practices that they do, um, is, you know, regenerative. It's the idea is that you, 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 your soil is better year after year. You're not draining nutrients out of the soil. You're constantly, uh, making it better. And that's the, the, the general idea behind, behind regenerative. And so, um, you know, the, the term is being thrown around quite a bit and uh, mm-hmm. without a lot of, well, there's a lot of people who are throwing it around without really any, any backbone behind it. And it's another mm-hmm. reason why I really appreciate biodynamics is because um, with that certification, with the biodynamics certification, you know that it comes from regenerative agriculture. And aside from, you know, maybe regenerative organic and uh, some others that came about in the last few years as, as this term got popular, uh, there's not that many out there. And, you know, I, I would, the reason why I would choose biodynamic even over the, the newer certifications is, part, like I said before, it's an old certification. The history, yeah. The history, you know, it's, it's proven itself to be um, value based and not, you know, marketing or profit based. Right. Um, 
you know, despite the history there, you mentioned that um, biodynamic farming is a little bit bigger in Europe compared to here in the States. Um, but overall, it's still a pretty small chunk, yeah. right, of, of, oh, yeah. of I mean, agriculture. I mean. Yeah. So you've got a, a very small farm where you're growing um, some of the ingredients for your products, but mm-hmm. I would imagine that you need a lot more in order to to do your formulations, right? Um, and I, you know, I was looking at some of the ingredients and it's pretty clear a lot of them wouldn't grow in Burgundy, Correct. like jojoba <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or avocado oil. Right. Um, so, so how are you finding um, enough suppliers that are that are certified biodynamic um, to you know actually create these products like, to get all those ingredients that you need? Uh, time, it, you know, it, it took us uh, about three years to develop our supply network, um, and I call it a network because you know I have or we have direct relationships with each one of the farmers that actually produces. The, uh, the ingredients that we use, whether that be a hydrosol, an oil, or, you know, a, a, a dried plant. Um, and, you know, many of, many of the ingredients that we are currently using for our skincare products were developed for us because of those relationships that we established a number of years ago. Um, you, you know, our, like you said, we don't grow everything that is in, in our products, and, nor could we. Um, and so the majority of our supply network is in Europe. And as you mentioned, it is a, a larger, or there's there's more of an understanding of biodynamics and there's a you know, good amount of farms, even though it's still tiny. I mean, even organic farms in the U.S. are less than 2% of all farms. So you can just imagine right. what biodynamic is. So, um, uh, yeah, so we, we source, we try to do it as local as possible, right? So uh, we the majority, I would say over 90% of the suppliers that we work with are either Europe or US based. Uh, okay. There's, um, there's one or two that we, that we get out of Africa because that's where those plants grow. Mm. Um, and we, you know, we, we would love to, to be able to do everything ourselves, but that's just uh, not necessarily the case. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. But, and it, I mean, I guess having, the certification in place also gives you that ability to find farms elsewhere and already have kind of a third party that um, is telling you this is in line with the principles you you want your product, right? Like, I mean, it, exactly. if you were doing regenerative, or it, it would be harder because you wouldn't totally know how that was being interpreted on each farm. But well, you would have to essentially create your own definition of what regenerative means, right? Yeah. Um, and... <laughs> That's, again, part of my problem with the word regenerative is that it means different things to different people. Um, And uh, again, as you said, coming in and approaching a farm that already has biodynamic certification where, you know, we as a company have our biodynamic certification as a handler and sell biodynamic products, uh, it's a family kind of atmosphere. So Mm -hmm. there is that kind of familial aspect between biodynamic people. Um, that, you know, we know the, the, the extra steps that, uh, that we go through as a company or as a farm to, um, to deserve their, their logo on, on our products or, or on our, on our crops. And so the, the conversation is, is, you know, starts off in a good place already. 
then, mm. you know, it's, it's a matter of, you know, do they have the bandwidth to work with us on the, the ingredients that we need, you know, for our, for our products today. And then also for the products that we're working on for the future. So, it, you know, it's, uh, you can't, you can't just go online and buy these ingredients. Yeah. It, it's, it's not that easy. There's, you can't go to a lab and ask them, Oh, make me a biodynamic face oil. Um, it's, it's part of, you know, what makes us special. Um, and also why we work very hard. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Definitely not the easiest path to take. No. <laughs> um, but on the flip side, I guess, um, how do the farming practices impact the quality of the products? What do you mean? Like, I'm, I'm curious if you think that the fact that all of the ingredients are biodynamic um, results in a higher quality skincare product as opposed to if um, the ingredients were grown um, conventionally? Well, it, it, again, like I think uh, it's about I mean, supporting. It's, sorry, yeah. Well, sorry, I interrupted you. I was just going to say, I guess like, you know, you'd have to, you'd have to really measure, I think, I, you know, aside from anecdotally, like, you know, yeah. Right, like, right, you'd have right. to measure like, are you getting higher, potentially like higher vitamin content, right? Like, right. Um, better. Well, you know, I mean, I can, I can, I can also, you know, answer that in, 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 in a different way, which is, you know, when, when we work with, uh, what either with the plants that we grow on our farm for our skincare products, or we work with the biodynamic farmers that, uh, you know, grow these ingredients for us. Um, what we look for is a, um, certain level of expertise with the plants that we're looking for. So when it comes to oils, it's a little bit easier, but you know, when it comes to dried plants, for example, um, calendula, you, you know, you want to, you want to harvest them and dry them in a very specific manner in order to retain the medicinal qualities that we then look for to put into our skincare products. Mm. Same thing with, uh, lavender, for example, we harvest lavender when we see about 25% of the buds starting to open. We don't want them when they're full flowering, because at that point, the, the kind of the internal chemistry of the plant has already begun to change. And so it, it's about that knowledge in terms of, you know, where is the plant, uh, you know, to the milky oats, you know, many people know about milky oats. It's like a one week, two week stage maximum where you can harvest oats when they're in that milky phase in order to get the milky oats. And so like, that's, that's the case for many of the ingredients that we work with. And so when when we say that we have higher quality ingredients, it, it, the one the one way that we measured it is um, we sent our uh, face oil, which is at the end of the day, it's an antioxidant face oil, right? It, okay. It, it's 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 brimming with antioxidants, and and uh, you know that helps the the skin uh, kind of age more gracefully. Um, and the way in which we were able to quantify that is we sent it to a lab based in the UK that, uh, measures antioxidant potential of, uh, whatever, you know, you could send them an apple or you could send them you know, our face oil, for example. <laughs> and so they do tests on cosmetic products. And when they came back with our results, uh, they said it was one of the highest they've ever seen for a product in that category. Is that because of biodynamics? I, I would say yes, but right. you know, how, how do you, how do you know for sure? Uh, there's no, yeah, there's no way I guess to perfectly. Uh, and, and you know, there are some farmers that aren't biodynamic that do the same thing and that get high quality stuff. Sure. And, and, and so it's really like what I was saying before, it's about 
knowing the farmer, knowing their level of expertise, how they care for the plants that they uh, grow and, and, you know, how they harvest them, how they process them, how they store them. Um, you know, do they go through multiple different hands? Uh, do they travel all over the world before they end up in the, you know, the final location? Um, it, it's another, you know, that's another rabbit hole that we could go down to in terms of kind of like the, uh, the, the, the aromatic herb uh, industry and, you know, where these plants come from, how they're harvested mm. and, you know, the different hands that they go through. But for us, it, it's really about having a direct connection with, uh, our supply network and, and knowing how they treat their plants is in line with how we would do it if we were in their shoes. Right. So you've been able to develop this network of suppliers. Um, and, you know, I think this is, we're talking about skincare. Um, often when we talk about biodynamic, we talk about wine. Uh, we brought that up <laughs> before. Yeah. Um, these are, these tend to be sort of high value items, right. Um, that you can command, um, a little bit of a higher price compared to, you know, a basic food item, like an egg mm-hmm. or um, a vegetable. So, like, I want to just talk a little bit before we wrap up, like, given sort of the labor intensity of biodynamics, um, do you think it's possible to apply this kind of farming in systems that are producing products that aren't luxury, that isn't wine, skincare, that's a little bit more basic, um, given the potential benefits? Absolutely. You know, you know, in terms of, you know, what makes something luxury uh, is subjective, right? But what I was explaining before about, you know, the, the, the farmers who, who know how to, you know, take care of their plants, harvest, process, and store them, to me, that's luxury. The way in which they are able to capture the medicinal qualities of, of the plants that we look for in skincare, to me, that's quality. But at the end of the day, you know, calendula, it, it grows it grows pretty much everywhere. I wouldn't consider right. it a, a luxury item, right? Um, and I would also say that the majority of biodynamic farms, uh, again, they're not looking to make uh, high high value items. They're farms like any other organic farm. And so they, they produce eggs and, you know, the lower, lower price point items as well. You know, there's there's a number here in the U.S. I'm thinking of one that's a dairy farm, right? They're biodynamic. Uh, they make fantastic raw milk, but it's still <laughs> milk, right? Um, mm-hmm. And the 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 places that we work with where they have, you know, what we would consider to be more exotic uh, ingredients like, uh, I don't know, uh, sesame or vanilla or, you know, whatever. Uh, for them, that's what grows there. So, right. you know, that's... They, they can command a higher price point outside of, uh, you know, their, their own countries. Um, but for them, it, it's the same approach. It's the same uh, level of uh, attention and, and, and detail and care that they put into their plants, whether that be vanilla or whether that be milk or eggs or uh, wheat, uh, oats, you know, whatever it is. And so, um, you know, for me, the, 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 the luxury aspect comes in more in terms of, uh, the expertise that these farmers have when it comes to the plants that they choose to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was just thinking about, you know, the, the kind of care it takes to, to really um, execute this kind of, like you called it intentional before, right. And Mm -hmm. to, to be um, participating in that kind of agriculture, it does take time and labor and uh, you know, it's not like we said, it's not the easiest. Um, But, you know, I, after I asked that question, I thought, well, you know, there's also a potential economic uh, 
benefit, which is that um, you don't have to buy any inputs really, right? <laughs> like, right. Um, and, you know, and like the expensive part is really becoming biodynamic. That's right. where you have to change the way in which you've been doing things for a long time. Uh, even if you're an organic farm, you could, you're like, okay, now I got to have to learn how to make these preparations. You know, how do I do this? Um, it, you know, you can buy preparations too. You don't have to make them yourself, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's preferable that you make them yourself because it comes from your land and is in line with that ethos of, you know, your farm creating its its bounty, right? Um, but once once you are biodynamic, you know, the the labor intensity goes down significantly um, because, you know, you're growing things that uh, that your soil likes. You know, you you've cultivated your soil to an extent where, um, you know, you, you probably have less weeds. Uh, you, you'll you know, you don't need all of those uh, synthetic chemical inputs that um, other farms might. Um, so, you know, I would argue that, yeah, the beginning is, is intensive. It's, it's a change. You have to change in which the way that you do things that you've been doing things for a long time. Um, but you know, once you've been biodynamic for a few years, it, again, it's about having a self-sustaining single organism that, uh, that creates its own beauty and bounty in and of itself. Right. Um, before we wrap up, Adrian, what's next for Maison Made? Well, we have a couple, we have a few products coming out next year, which we're quite excited about. Um, we haven't announced anything yet, so I, I can't okay. talk uh, <laughs> specifics. Um, but we have, uh, our products are, 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 are put into two collections. And um, the first one is our Maison collection, which is really our, um, our collection of products that have uh, a more complex uh, formulation uh, approach. Uh, from Carolina, my wife, who's our formulator. So she takes in all of our biodynamic ingredients and um, approaches it from a, you know, kind of skin supporting um, perspective. Um, And uh, we'll have a couple of products come out in that collection. And then our second collection is our Verdant collection, um, which really focuses on single ingredient uh, products, where uh, the goal behind this collection is really to highlight the... um, the exquisiteness of biodynamic ingredients. And, um, you know, we choose uh, products or ingredients that uh, we feel can really highlight that difference. Um, and uh, we'll be having some some products come out in that collection as well next year. So we have a whole, whole slew of new things coming um, but uh, that we're very excited about. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to, uh, you know, seeing how people react to them. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And thank you all so much for listening to the Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. Until next time, this is Lisa Held. The Farm Report is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork.
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.